Hi, I'm Phil Morehart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and this is the Dewey Decibel Podcast. Local governments and libraries have a symbiotic relationship. We need them, and they also need us. But opening that line of communication can be intimidating if you're a librarian, administrator, trustee, or friends group member who's new to advocacy. We know our worth, but translating that effectively to someone at the government level can sometimes be a challenge. Luckily, resources abound from ALA's Office of Public Policy and Advocacy, United for Libraries, or its state library associations, and even from your own colleagues. Today, on the Dewey Decimal Podcast, we talk advocacy, why it's necessary, and how to do it. First, I speak with Dennis Cotter. He's the chair of Loudoun County Public Library Board of Trustees of Loudoun County, Virginia. I spoke with Dennis about how successful advocacy led to fines being eliminated at Loudoun County Libraries. Next, American Libraries Associate Editor Sally Ann Price speaks with John Winmuller. He's the Work Organizational Training Manager at the Washington Improv Theater in Washington, D.C. They talk about how learning improv can help with advocacy. But first, a word from a sponsor. I don't know about you, but I know where I'm going to be July 24th through 28th, 2020. I'll be in Philadelphia with several thousand of our colleagues at the American Library Association's Midwinter Meeting and Exhibits. Five days of programs, networks, exhibits, and more presented all by the library world's best minds. And of course, the speakers. This year we'll have Wes Moore, Echo Brown, Julia Alvarez, Maya and Alex Shibutani, Jeff Henderson, and Chanel Miller joining us. You do not want to miss this. Visit 2020.alamidwinter.org for registration details and more. We'll see you in Philly. Dennis Cotter is chair of Loudoun County Public Library Board of Trustees in Loudoun County, Virginia. In August, the board successfully lobbied the uh, County Board of Supervisors to eliminate fines at the public libraries in Loudoun County. Some of you may have learned about these negotiations during an advocacy program the library presented at ALA Annual last summer in D.C. Dennis shared with me some of the takeaways from that process, why advocacy and maintaining a relationship with local government is important, and he also offered tips for you to get started. Here's our talk. Why is it important for libraries to be involved in advocacy and to have a relationship with the local uh, officials specifically? Well, um, we actually are, in Virginia at any rate, part of the governmental system. So um, we we not only advocate, but um, we are uh, appointed by the uh, Board of Supervisors in Loudoun County. And uh, our um, our purposes are to you know acquire adequate funds for the library. Uh, we actually appoint the library director and do her annual performance. Uh, we determine the policies for the library. We approve the expenditure of the library funds, and we accept gifts with the library. Um, so uh, advocacy for the budget process is it's uh, central to what we do, and uh, uh, we've been kind of effective over the years, I think, uh, both as trustees and working with the community to make sure that the uh, library system in Loudoun is adequately and fully funded. 
Now, as um, as a trustee, what advantages do you have over, say, an uh, administrator or a librarian who um, uh, wants to reach out to the local officials and do some advocacy? What advantages do you have being in that role? I would say, um, you know, we're, we're not employees of the of the county government. We are um, uh, have a standing as outsiders. So even though we're appointed uh, by the, the supervisors. Um, uh, we uh, represent our district. So I represent, for instance, the Blue Ridge District in Loudoun County. And uh, each one of the trustees has a number of libraries. We've got 10 branches in uh, in the Loudoun system. And um, so it's it's a whole uh, process engaging with these uh, supervisors uh, throughout the year, but particularly in the first quarter of the year as the budget uh, becomes uh, uh, finalized. Um, I think uh, the staff, library staff and library administrators, they cannot really lobby for funds. Uh, they are inside the system. They report up to the county administrator, the supervisor. Uh, we, to some extent, are outside the system, if you will, uh, in that uh, we represent the community. And uh, another very important thing uh, are the uh, friends of the library groups who are also heavily involved in advocacy and we try to work with them as well in advocating for the library. In August of this year, of 2019, um, Loudoun County Public Libraries uh, eliminated fines, and that was the result yeah. of um, a close working relationship between the Board of Trustees and the Board of Supervisors. Can you um, talk a little bit about that experience? Tell our listeners how all that happened. Like, what were the, was the, were the, were the roles of um, the trustees and the supervisors, and how that process began, I think, just kind of illuminate all of us on that. Sure. Um, the uh, motivation, I guess, uh, for uh, eliminating fines was realizing that uh, they were contributing not an awful lot to the overall budget, but they were uh, very negatively impacting um, uh, the lower economic orders, if you will, the poorer people in the community who had fines for overdue books and whose cards were blocked. And we discovered that, you know, something like five or six thousand of these blocked cards belong to children under the age of 18, uh, who, who, who are exactly your audience uh, that you want to be using public libraries. So, uh, the, the process began, uh, it began with, uh, something of a, of a motivation by my predecessor, Mark Miller, who uh, spearheaded this. And I think you may have met him at the ALA conference there uh, yes. earlier. Uh, and um, so we got the staff, the library director and staff, to research this thing extensively across the country uh, in systems that had uh, eliminated uh, fines and what did they do well and what did they do not so well and what were the, uh, the lessons that could be learned from doing this. And so, uh, as, as the policy board, uh, we uh, approved uh, a policy eliminating fines, and uh, we went to the uh, uh, supervisors, and we wanted to make sure that we were not going to be dinged, negatively impacted, because uh, on paper, we were taking about $300,000 off the table. But as a practical matter, we, we were never able to collect the, because the people did not come, they did not uh, clear the fines, they were simply being blocked from using libraries. So we worked, um, the, 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 and one of the curious things still was that 
whenever we did collect fines and, and, and we were collecting from, from the people who could afford to pay fines, uh, it never actually went back into the library budget. It went to, into the general fund for the county. We never saw it. So when we did our budgeting for the year and when we do our budgeting for the year, that was never part of our calculations of revenue we needed. But we wanted to make sure that, you know, because we, we, we took it off the table that we were not, uh, uh, as I say, dinged for it. And uh, the supervisors, uh, we were able to convince them uh, that uh, this was a good thing for the community. And uh, we had a certain amount of uh, pushback, I guess, still, in the sense, uh, you know, were we encouraging bad behavior? And, uh, you know, you take away uh, this incentive uh, or, to, you know, return books and uh, were people n- never going to return books. So we took some steps uh, to uh, uh, prevent that negative outcome. So um, we still actually, uh, if you do not return your book after, you, you, get, you get a chance to uh, renew it three times or the material could be a DVD or whatever. Uh, then your card is blocked and you cannot use the, the library until you bring that uh, material back. And if you do not bring it back, uh, we, we charge the person for a lost uh, lost item. The, um, so far, the initial results are pretty good, Phil. Um, we're seeing numbers, uh, in, in the circulation numbers increasing, and uh, we're not entirely sure. Uh, we opened a major new library in December of last year, so it will be December of this year before we can compare like with like. But uh, yeah, the preliminary indications are that uh, circulation is, in fact, uh, significantly higher. And we believe that some of that is due to the fine elimination policy. Now, what did you learn from that experience? If you, had, if you had to do it all over again, would you do anything differently, or what would you do the same? In terms of things that we could do a little bit better if we had to do it again, um, you know, maybe we if we had a couple of supervisors who were um, not entirely convinced that this wasn't going to be the end of civilization as they knew it. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but uh, I think we, 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 we worked uh, uh, to educate them and uh, we had no um, opposition. We had a couple of abstentions, I guess, but we had no active opposition. And so it, it, it did go through. The curious thing is uh, from decades we never had it. Uh, fines in Loudoun County. And then right around 2008, when the economy went in the tank, um, the, uh, the and budgets were being trimmed for libraries and everything else, uh, the uh, fines were mandated by the supervisors. We were told that, you know, you, you, you will do this. And it, it never amounted to, to, we got a $21 million budget, and uh, which is great uh, in the current year. And uh, 300,000, maybe we might collect 100,000. It didn't, it, it was not going to stop the clock for, for operations if, if we didn't get it. And it, it was having a, a negative impact. I mean, even if one child was, 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 was denied uh, access to a public library to borrow stuff, that's just one way too many. So. Now, for some of our listeners who might be interested in doing something similar to what you've done, either involving fines or just reaching out and creating that working relationship with uh, supervisors to get involved in more advocacy. Do you have any tips for them of where they should start or any words of wisdom? I think uh, 
the main thing is uh, in terms of advocacy, um, and fines was a very specific item. But in terms of advocacy, uh, supervisors, you know, they're politicians, and the main thing is, uh, you know, is is the what are the taxes and where are they going to? And uh, in uh, Loudoun County, uh, something like less than a penny in the dollar, less than one percent of the budget goes to the library system. And it's, in, it's incredibly uh, efficient uh, and, and highly productive. Um, but I think we always have had wonderful uh, advocacy uh, and, you know, there's been threats. And they occur from time to time as, as the economy goes up and down. We're in a good phase at the moment, uh, but uh, things can always turn. I think I would advise... Um, you know, the, the library advisory boards or the friends of the library groups, as as well as the trustees. Um, uh, the trustees are, are all volunteers, and, uh, you know, we, we, we have our, our little budget uh, subcommittee that works closely with the, the county budget office here, with the uh, county administrator, and with the library director. Um, so I, I think close engagement uh, with the... Uh, uh, the library director and, and is probably one of the, the best things uh, that I would recommend in, in any system. Um, and uh, I do think um, I do think it's it's difficult sometimes to get people to um, pay attention. They only pay attention when things go go wrong. And uh, in the past. Uh, you know, when budgets have been tight, there have been suggestions that libraries could be mothballed or, or temporarily closed or hours reduced and that sort of So when things go negative, uh, uh, we tend to get uh, people's attention. When things are good, um, people don't tend to uh, be advocates as much. But uh, So I, I, I guess I would recommend that people maintain a, a healthy, realistic pessimism that economies can go 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 sour and to be ready to, to act when those things happen. ALA Job List is the award-winning source for jobs in library science and technology. If you're looking for a new job or an employer who wants to advertise a job opening, Job List has you covered. Job seekers can refine and filter searches by position type, employer, location, post resumes, and automate alerts to never miss a posting. Employers can rest easy knowing that ALA reaches the engaged professionals that you want to hire. Jobless also simplifies recruiting by offering flat rate pricing, discounted multi-ad packages, and enhanced postings for increased visibility. ALA Joblist. It's where job seekers and employers get results. Visit joblist.ala.org for more information or to begin your search today. Get on the list. Comedy can be used to diffuse the tensest of situations. But would it help with advocacy? John Winmuller thinks so. John is Work Organizational Training Manager at the Washington Improv Theater in Washington, D.C., at the last Washington fly-in, where hundreds of librarians descended upon the nation's capital to advocate for libraries, John led a session on how improv techniques can improve advocacy. American Libraries Associate Editor Sally M. Price spoke with him to learn more.
An auditorium full of librarians uh, sounds like it could be the start of a bad joke, but that's exactly what you found. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, how was that room? Uh, I I found it very receptive and wonderful. For one thing, I feel deeply that librarians are my people. Uh, I um, uh, When I was doing my Ph.D., uh, in part of the way, I had a choice of where I would do my graduate research assistantship, and I did that through the library. So I got to spend uh, several years being a graduate research librarian uh, at George Mason's library, including working the reference desk, and I always it's some of my happiest work that I've done. So I was very happy being amongst librarians again. And also it was just, it was a group of people that were trying to advocate important issues, and I knew that improv would be a great way to help them. To do good improv requires three main competencies, being good at communication, uh, you have to be able to communicate well with your scene partner and with the wide audience. You need to be good at collaboration, because you need to, in the middle of a scene, if it isn't going well between you and I, we can't in the middle of it say, "Eh, let's take a process huddle and talk about it. It doesn't make for very good theater, so getting good at being uh, able to be constructive with others when you're on the spot in a high-pressure situation. And finally, the idea of innovation and creativity because you're having to create a product right in front of your client's eyes. Uh, And so those same competencies are awfully useful off the stage as well as on. And so improv is increasingly getting used for training those competencies, for leadership and communication. And so that's the work that I do through Would It Work. And what would you say is your specific message to uh, what librarians can learn from improv comedy, and specifically as they seek to engage their uh, local representatives and secure funding? Sure. I think that um, one thing, particularly when doing advocacy work, and particularly here in D.C. and on the Hill, um, it's it's a rare and unique experience for the folks who are doing the advocating. But for legislators, this is something they go through every week, every day. And so ways to really sort of anytime you can make a genuine connection and really have an authentic moment with them is really wonderful. And it's not any ill will on their part. It's just they're going and seeing so many folks. So it's great to be prepared in advance to have the important talking points and to really have a message that you're trying to convey consistently. And at the same time, those sort of spontaneous moments where you get to make a real connection one-on-one with a person, even if you don't fully agree with their agenda uh, and beliefs, can be a really powerful moment for persuasion, more so than just sort of ticking off, here are the points I want to make. And so that really is a helpful way to make traction and connection. And I think librarians get that. I think, you know, it's great um, when you can sort of answer a question, but for folks, if you're working at a reference desk, there it's not just answering the question, there's also sort of making the human connection there as well. And I think librarians recognize that as an important skill to make uh, with the relationship they're building with patrons. And that same sort of recognition about the human component about it and making that authentic, real, and in-the-moment connection is equally valuable in helping persuade the people who have a lot of power over the resources that makes that make libraries possible and help them flourish. I know a little bit about improv because it's just in the, in the water here in Chicago, uh, but can you explain the principle of yes-anding and how that might play into conversations about advocacy? Sure. Uh, So yes and is easily the most well-known principle in improv. If you ask most improvisers sort of what's the one thing I should know about improv, yes and is almost certainly what they'll they'll jump to first. Uh, And it's actually a fairly uh, simple concept. It's that if I start a scene and say it's a beautiful day in Hawaii and you as my scene partner say, no, it's not, we're robots on Mars and very sad, that's tough. That's going to be a harder scene to get going. We're not even agreeing on the reality of what's going on. Um, And 
we ask the audience to imagine a lot. Most improv shows have no set, no wardrobe, and so even the base reality is something we're having to help sort of get everyone on board with. And when we don't have some agreement on that, it doesn't work. And so one part of yes anding is to not fight our scene partners about this, to just sort of sort of accept and move forward. There's also a notion of yes and that um, in a in a given improv scene, there's a million things that are going wrong, right? We're making it up on the spot. Uh, drama is difficult. We're both being the the, the writers, the the players or the playwrights. We're being the performers. We're doing all of the staging, all of this, uh, and a million things are going wrong. But instead of sort of jumping to figure out all the things that are going wrong and fixing them, to sort of retrain our focus on what is working and how can we accentuate and accent that. And I think it gets uh, away from some of our natural disposition to sort of jump to being critical and finding problems, not because that isn't important, but in the process of jumping to do that, we often miss a lot of gifts and opportunities right in front of our eyes where maybe instead of always fixing the potholes, we can look at what's working and throw more fuel on that fire uh, to get it working. And so there's that shift in disposition to be able to do that. It's not, I think some people hear improv yes and and they think, oh no, this is someone coming in to tell us to say yes to everything, which is absolutely not the message of yes and. Uh, but it is, it puts a little bit more of the burden of proof on no. And so to sort of explore and ask what if and to go ahead and, and explore that and see what we can do. Uh, so for example, if we're working with libraries, if you're exploring a what if, if you said, what if there was a library without books? That's a horrible idea. I hate that idea. I have so much. I love books. Dearly, but if you do a, a yes and experiment and see what you learn from that, you might get some insights that are really valuable that aren't how do we have a library without books, but help us really understand what the value of books are. So it, another lesson of yes and is that we often jump to judgment when groups are trying to come up with ideas. Uh, and instead of immediately jumping to judgment whenever someone has an idea, to just hold time a little bit and to explore that idea and ask what if and see if we learn from it, to do some sort of uncritical, unconditionally supportive, um, rapid prototyping, to put it in ideation jargon, uh, to see what if and use that as a way to learn. So it's not that we're trying to find the perfect answer, but we're trying to learn together and withholding judgment for just a little bit in order to learn in that space. Uh, there's a, a notion of decision-making where whenever you have an idea, judge it, have an idea, judge it, have an idea, and judge it. Uh, that's known as satisficing. Uh, Herbert Simon won a Nobel Prize in economics in part for observing that as a way in which groups sometimes make decisions. And the problem with that is that it produces the first idea that doesn't suck. It's a great way to decide where to go to lunch, who has time to have all the best options and sort of make a matrix in that. Uh, but when we use that same way for making decisions on really much bigger questions, we jump to judge each idea, we just end up with the first idea that's good enough and not really fully understanding what all the options we have are. So yes and isn't about getting rid of judgment or critique or anything like that. It's recognizing that, hey, instead of our natural inclination as individuals and groups to jump to judge right away and to look for the negatives, to hold space a little bit, to explore ideas unconditionally uh, and to see opportunities even when we have a lot of challenges uh, and learn from that and to not sort of leave those gifts on the floor, instead to look at them and figure out how we can use them to our advantage. And I think that's really helpful for libraries, which I've yet to have a library system that goes, oh, we have more than enough resources, time, and budget. But we're often really dealing with a lot of difficult constraints. And so in that challenging environment, to also ask what, what's going for us and how can we add to that can be a really pragmatic and helpful uh, way to look at it, and also an optimistic one. 
Yeah, not just to check off line items on a on a budget when you're talking to your representatives, but to uh, really be imaginative about um, about what you could do next. Right. There's they've they've had people talking about line items and budgets every day, all day for their careers. I think it's helpful to understand. Um, we often talk about in the Beltway and people as if they're not human beings, and they are. Uh, and to recognize that any way in which you can make a unique connection is really important, significant, and powerful, and to be able to do that um, and and make those connections. I think there's also um, sometimes a stereotype of librarians being introverts, and I don't know that that's always been my experience in, in dealing with them, but it's worth noting that uh, introverts do just as well as extroverts at improv, not just off the stage, but on the stage as well, because it's all about listening and support and being present. And introverts can be absolutely wonderful at that. So while it might be something they're not looking forward to, um, when instead it's like, oh no, how can I get sort when it's, how can I just make a connection with this one person? That's something that they might be absolutely wonderful at. In the same way that when someone comes to them and is asking about how to locate something or a resource in the library, it's great to make that inform information to get that across for them. But, you know, it's also really valuable when you can make that human connection. And the library is more than just information, but also the relationships that we have with patrons and the connection and the support that goes into it. I think um, when I think about my fondest memories of, uh, of a reference desk back when they were still useful, it looks like a lot of what goes into a good improv scene, that there's a lot of everything there is sort of a surprise. It's unique. Uh, but there's a lot of great connections that are made, and those connections are important because it's great to have an answer for a patron, but what's also important is making them understand that these are folks who are there, who want to help them, who share their curiosity, because it's not just that one query. It's helping build the relationship so they can come back with queries in the future and tell others that it's a good place to help with those answers. And you you alluded a little bit to some of your clients kind of inside the Beltway in D.C., but as an improviser in the nation's capital, uh, where do you see comedy and politics intersecting or what role uh, comedy can play in advocacy and issues? Oh, my gosh, um, everywhere. Uh, and this is, I think, something that I happily saw long before I was doing improv and just conflict resolution in general. I think there's sometimes this notion of, mediators and folks who are doing conflict resolution work and people who are doing deep dialogue and deliberative works as folks who are very somber and serious, and it is that. But it's difficult to do really serious and difficult work with all, without also having laughter. It's one of our greatest tools for, in the midst of really challenging situations, still being able to sort of make connections and find the humanity in things. Um, the, and so that, I find that really beneficial and helpful. A lot of the work that I did in conflict resolution dealt with really difficult conflicts and so everything from doing work in legislative disputes but also in dialogue work. I did my dissertation work around civic dialogues in the wake of September 11th. I mean, that's a very unfunny subject. And yet, while watching as communities try to work through those difficult di issues, um, comedy and just a moment to, to laugh together to make those human connections were really important in providing and helping build the relationships and sort of finding the shared humanity that help getting through those difficult conversations possible. Uh, and I think that that's something that you see in, in the legislature all the time, particularly on the, the Hill if you talk to folks. There's, a, there's definitely sort of a very raucous uh, sense of humor, and sometimes it's a gallowy sense of humor as well, but it's necessary in doing the work. And I think it's one of the things that uh, is almost always something that helps connect groups instead of helping divide them. I think, I'm thinking of, I think they're called the Capital Steps. Is that the, the musical comedy group where they're actually all former congressional staffers? 
I'm not sure what their composition these days. I know that that used to be a big part of it. But, yeah, they do comedic sketches and comedy reviews. So it's not improv. It's pre, pre-planned. But, yeah, helping make those connections is always a wonderful way to sort of, to sort of see that. And it's, I mean, I've yet to find the sphere of human endeavor that doesn't have its hilarious component of it. I'd be kind of sad to discover that. Uh, so even working in conflicts, that comes up. I think it's also one of the things that this has really shown me, and I saw this in conflict resolution, but I think I've really seen it in this job in particular, I work with a really wide range of clients. So even within the federal agency, you know, the DOJ is very different from the EPA, which is different from the State Department. Uh, I'm allowed to discuss that we do security agencies, so I've worked with ONI and DISA and the NSA as clients. And you sort of expect these radical differences, but human beings are human beings. And so everyone from, like, the, the folks at the NSA to the folks doing the difficult regulatory work at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission to the folks doing environmental work at the EPA, that they're still human beings, um, and they and the auditors and large consulting firms and the IT folks that we work and who are doing agile development and whatnot, so they all have these radically different jobs. But one thing I've noticed is that um, whenever clients approach me, they also sort of say, like, we have these concerns here where our folks are very diff- – it might be very kind of hesitant about improv or they're worried about being put on the spot or they're introverted or anything or whatnot. Um, I always want to honor that and respect it from their perspective. You know, this is a very unique group of people, and everyone is unique to a degree. And yet I found that across these really different folks doing this really varied work across all sorts of different sectors and purposes, about five minutes in, they – turn into like any other improv class, a group of people and human beings who really love to play and explore and enjoy the chance to be curious and to co-create together. I've not found the group where all of a sudden where the sort of the physics of improv doesn't work here. And to me, that's been a real lesson in sort of the shared, the very shared challenges that different groups have and they face. That wraps another episode of the Dewey Decimal Podcast. Thanks to Dennis and John for joining us today to talk advocacy. So what's in store for next month, our annual year-end wrap-up episode? Here's a taste. When I first discovered the power of social media, I was absolutely enamored of it. It was a way to reach people globally, like their next-door neighbors or the person you come across every day at the uh, town square. Uh, I thought it was a wonderful way of communicating, uh, certainly with my Star Trek fans. But uh, then we discovered that there's a darker, uglier underbelly. Want to join in the Dewey conversation? You can find us on Twitter or email me directly at deweydecibel at ala.org. We want to hear from you. Show ideas, praise, complaints, anything at all, lay it on us. As always, I'm Phil Moorhart, Senior Editor at American Libraries, and this is the Dewey Decibel Podcast. Mm-hmm.